All right. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2. And of course, on Sunday, we took a look at that really astounding passage there of Paul working with all God's energy that so works within him to present everyone fully mature, having arrived at your intended destination to which you were reborn in Christ. And for that, he laid it all on the field to make sure that everybody could hear and everybody could be brought to maturity in Christ. And now as he continues with this, know that what is going on is that he is handing off a letter, not only to Tuchicus, but also to Epaphras. Epaphras is the one that probably planted the church in Colossae. He's also let Paul know about the needs of the church there. Paul, although he has not met this church personally, as we'll see in just one minute when we read about this, has such a heart for them and for the neighboring churches in the Lycus Valley that would have been also the church of Laodicea and Hierapolis. All three churches are within about 10 miles of one another, all probably planted at the time when Paul had his extended visit to Ephesus. During that time, it says that the whole Asian area, that, that uh, province of Asia would have included in that time, it would have included those three churches. They were planted during that time from the people that Paul met there in Ephesus. And they were so enthralled with the gospel and so equipped and so presented for service that off they went to continue to expand the message of Christ. And now Paul hears more about the church in Colossae and Laodicea. And here's what he has to say in this letter to them. I want you to know, this is chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know, How hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. That word contending is again the word that we looked at on Sunday. It is the word of being in the arena. It is agon, where we get agonized. But the agon was the arena. It was the place of battle. It was the place where you went all in, no half measures. We're going after this thing with all that we've got. That's Paul's gusto that he brings to Jesus as he takes Jesus' message forward. Even to these folks that he doesn't even yet know. So he says, how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And he contends now by being able to deflect perhaps any suffering that they might have and also by being able to really appropriate unto himself a, a massive effort of prayer for people that he's not even met yet. This is an upward call. This guy astounding at every turn. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, So that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how how, how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness." So Paul here has a bit of a kind of a staccato list of things that he's praying for them to be. And he's praying and he's contending. He's contending in prayer. He's contending through messengers to be able to help these churches be healthy before the Lord. And 
whether it be Herapolis, Laodicea, or Colossae, what it is that he wants to see in them are these, these seven marks that I basically uh, just distilled out of the list that he just gave us here. And the first one that he mentions is, number one, encouraged in heart. This is what he really does desire for them. He, it's interesting that he says later in Colossians 4, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. It seems as though that if we're to be a church encouraged in heart, it is part of being encouraged in heart that people encourage one another in the body of Christ. We've talked about this all the time. We know the memory verses about encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that we will not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We, we know about these things, but what a difference it would really make to the entire fabric of the church if we really did decide intentionally to encourage one another in heart. To be able to have a scripture that preached the good news, the gospel message to somebody else in fellowship every single day, if that were your practice, you would also delight too because that same truth couldn't help but wash over you. That if, if you were to able to, and let me, let, let me just look at one for, for an example. So let, let's say where we just were in Ephesians. If, if you were to be able to pick up the phone or even send the text, but picking up the phone, by the way, is a lot better. And, and if you were to pick up the phone and you were to say, you know what? When you believed, you were marked in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, and he is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is, as you go through your day today, no matter what ups and downs you face, know that no matter what, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Why is that a big deal? Because the scripture says here that he is your guarantee. That what comes your way in the future is the most beautiful of all hopes that you could ever imagine. And it is already sealed and guaranteed for you. Now, if, if you're having just a mediocre day, that little injection of encouragement makes a rather big difference in your day. Let me see if I can throw down the gauntlet here for the coastal and South Beach regions to see if, if you can't make it part of your day, part of your challenge that every day this week, until we come back again next week for Thanksgiving, that, that every day that you would have not just a, you're awesome, I love you, platitude of encouragement that goes to somebody, but an actual scripture that affirms who they are by the grace of Jesus Christ, affirming by the gospel, the good news, that this is who you are, now you go get them today. And, and my goodness, the big difference that that would make. Epaphras goes back to the church in Colossae and to uh, Laodicea with the express purposes that Paul says to go and encourage them in heart. Uh, number two, he says after saying, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. And then it says united in love. It's an interesting term. A lot of the other translations actually say knitted together in love. And uh, th this idea of being knitted together in love is also an interesting term. Why? Because it, it doesn't just have to do with being unified. It has to do with being brought together in love. And this is an interesting concept because I wouldn't normally think of this as what knits you together in love. But it's being brought together in love by authorita uh, authoritative teaching of truth. 
And again, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how these things go together and why there are such synonyms in the Greek for, for this word to, to actually mean that and for it to be the means by which you're knitted together in love. But it does seem to be the case. And by the way, Ephesians, which is a massive overlap to the book of Colossians, uh, is, as a matter of fact, uh, let me, let me go back a slide. When, when he said in Colossians 4 8, I'm sending Epaphras to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Listen to what he says in in the book of Ephesians. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. I mean, that's again and again, you probably noticed that between the two books. But here's an interesting one that some point to this phrase being knitted together in love as being seen in an expansion in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. I'll I'll read it to you. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Jesus Christ. Do you see the way that this is is the parallel is that knitted together in love, being brought to unity in love, the means of which, according to the verb that that knits together, is by an expert teaching of truth. And in in Ephesians, in the parallel idea here, it is the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers who bring this kind of teaching to equip God's people for work so that the body may be built up, reaching unity unity in the faith, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, as, as we hope to be knitted together in love, we can't take our, our eyes off of the fact that it is truth and a clear teaching of the truth that really is the thing that bonds us all together. And, and yes, there may be real kinship and affection, not to discount that, but the means by which Paul wants these churches to be knitted together in love is that they rally around a common truth that is all theirs. Thirdly, third sign, he he goes on to say then, um, so that you may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Now, the full riches and complete understanding is, again, depending on on the translation, I'll I'll read it to you in the ESV, uh, that you may have uh, the, the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. When we know Christ, when we know the depth of of who he is, what he has done for us, how it is that that he has come for the express purpose of you being made holy and blameless and beyond accusation, that when we understand the depth of that, there is a deep assurance that begins to settle our very soul in a, in a place of peace and encouragement. And that when you come to know the depth of the wisdom of, of all of that, the depth of the wisdom of, of what Jesus has come to do for you, the mystery that the Gentiles are part of this as well, which is often the, what mystery refers to, that yes, even you who, who were not part of this from, from the beginning as God's chosen people, but now you, us, the Gentiles, that we get to be part of this as well, and Christ is just as much full atonement for us. Well, we allow that to be the core of, of our knowledge of the gospel, 
then we walk around with astounding assurance, a confidence to approach the throne of grace, as, as Hebrews puts it, uh, for us to know that our consciences themselves have been cleansed by a greater sacrifice, a counterintuitive sacrifice to what all would have appreciated as sacrifice at the time of this letter. This was not some lamb or bull or goat. This was the very Son of God, this man, Jesus Christ. And His sacrifice was efficacious, not only to take away your debt of sin, but to reach into your very consciences and rip away any sin that would have afflicted your conscience as well. And and because of that, because we understand Christ has cleansed your conscience as well, and that's Hebrews 9, 13, and 14, that He has done that very thing for you, you have assurance as you serve the living God and as you walk despite the accusations of Satan that continually try to knock you off balance. Uh, Number four, fireproofed from error. Again, he, he talks about, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. He tells you what? He tells you all of this gospel truth. He piles it upon them. Why? Because Satan at every turn wants to undermine your faith. He is not happy that you would wake up tomorrow morning, allow the word of God to wash over you, to be able to see the wisdom of God's word, to have wonder that that you have the biblical insight and the spiritual wisdom to see his word, to know his will, to put it into practice, to live it out, to make a difference in this world. That is an amazing thing that not only you get to do, but we do as the very body of Christ. Think about all of this room. Tomorrow that goes on. That is a disruptive power to the, the kind of the principalities of this world as, as the, they're referred to in Colossians and Ephesians. That any of the dark forces, knowing that this astounding army of folks wake up armed with the beauty and the truth of the good news of Jesus... And that the fullness of what Jesus came to do is not lost on you. And now you're about to get up and go into that world. That's a big, massive difference that you get to be able to make. And, and thus, Satan will bring it your way. Whether it be uh, through his accusations against you, or as Paul talks about here, fine-sounding arguments. Uh, my, my goodness, any of you that have gone through college, and you did so as a disciple of Jesus Christ... You know how subtly those fine-sounding arguments get slipped in, no matter what the lesson is. Uh, whether it's anthropology, whether it's geography, whether it's astrophysics, whether it's biology, chemistry, any of those things, again and again, this world is happy to promote materialism that is simply a material cause for all things, rather than supernatural again and again. And, and if we, and one of the things that I pray for, even as my kids go off to school, is I pray that as you learn about the immensities of this creation and the beauty of the design of the universe and to see the elegance of it that can be actually distilled down into wonderful laws that it can be understood even by us that you would in no way allow a materialistic uh, paradigm to override the idea that it is Jesus who holds all of this together, as Colossians just said a few verses earlier. Uh, but that you, as, you, as you learn and you peel back 
more about the intricacies of this creation in which we've been placed and to come away jaw-dropped at how brilliant our Jesus is, who not only created all things, but holds all things together. When Jesus is that much front and center, then you're able to even take some of the, the best and even the worst teaching that goes on around you and to filter it all through him, as we should. Number five, disciplined through the ranks. This is a really interesting phrase. I very much enjoyed doing a little bit of research on this. When he says in verse 5, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Uh, or, or as he says in the uh, uh, ESV, I am present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your morale and the firmness of, of your faith in Christ. Those two uh, phrases are military phrases as the day is long. And it is the idea of a commander walking up and down among the ranks as they're presented on the parade ground and, and being able to see and to delight in just how disciplined and how ordered and how strong as well as this idea. Because it's not just the idea of, of a parade being brought forth between the grandstands, but it is the idea of the Roman phalanx, the tortuga, that, that is firm in its ranks. That one after another after another. That, you know what, your shield has got his shoulder, and, and his shield has got his shoulder, and so on and so on. And that there is no chink in the armor. That there is this kind of, of wonderful, I got your back, I got your back. We're in the spiritual battle. Yes, we're going after these very things. And a deep appreciation of that. And also a deep appreciation of, of your brother and sister to your right and your left. As you go through, day after day, the great struggle, the great agon that, that Paul is going through. All for the sake of making Christ known and bringing everyone to be made perfect or complete in Christ. Uh, and, and, and as he says this, it is both the idea of having a good order or, or ranks that you have. And you know what? A lot of people don't like the idea sometimes that, well, why do we have to be organized into small groups or to Bible talks? And, and why is it that in, in many cases that we need to even know who it is that is kind of working with us towards our spir spiritual progress and trying to present us as, as uh, spiritually mature in Christ? And I, I think if Paul came and saw that, that would be a delight for him. And from his standpoint, that's the mark of a healthy church. And, and praise God that we, we live in a place, obviously we have a, a bit of a military milieu here as a sensibility, as, as we bring that even into the body of Christ. But you know what? As we bring it into the body of Christ, we do so to our benefit and to God's glory. Because the idea that we have orderly ranks and that there is a firmness to our faith as we are here doing this one with another and not going after the American individualism of Christianity, but doing it together in community. My goodness, what a mark of a healthy church that Paul would have delighted in. And in sixth, a healthy church is founded on lordship. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him. It reminds me of something that Paul says in a more intimate manner to Timothy. And when he's writing to Timothy, he says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, anyone that's going to say Jesus is Lord... 
Any church that is going to be built on the, the, the great confession or profession, Jesus is Lord, cannot do so with duplicity in their hearts. If we're going to confess the name of the Lord, we must first have turned from wickedness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you have a church that's built on the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, it means that you've come through repentance to be able to come to that place, to be able to say Jesus is Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord unless they first turn from wickedness. You know, in just a moment, what's going to be so encouraging as we even see the Camerons, Ryan and Sarah, baptized into Christ, is one of the hard-fought battles that the people who love them have helped them through in their lives is to recognize that despite a whole lot of different religious chapters to their lives, the reason that they now really see things anew and that the Scripture is so exciting to them is because they've also recognized the depth to what it really looks like when you make Jesus Lord of your life. When you really decide to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus Christ. When you really do repent, you turn from wickedness and turn to serve the living God. And, and they're so excited even tonight to be able to stand and proclaim that because now finally, after all of these amazing intercessions by God in their lives, Finally, they, they've come to a place where the Bible is completely unfiltered and they're able to run after that. But not just them. Every one of you as you sit here, if you've really been refined by the Spirit through His Scriptures to come to a place where you've been able to truly recognize the absolute bankruptcy of living for self and realizing that God has always had in store something greater for you and that it is to live for Christ who has died for you. And Jesus also says that many are going to say in the end, Lord, Lord. But of course, what does Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? It is not just he who hears my words, but it's he who hears my words and puts them into practice. That's the foundation built on a rock. It's not just enough to give lip service. It's not just enough to read the Bible. But as Jesus says, it's to, to really appreciate the depth of the words of the Scripture and put them into practice. It's a very deadly thing for any of us to get into the practice of reading the Bible and thinking, oh, that's a good theoretical idea. But to open the Bible every day, built on this foundation, all of us opening the Bible every day with fear and trembling, with awe and wonder, with excitement and anticipation, as we open the pages of God, the Creator, very words captured for us through the Holy Spirit, and to recognize... I'm receiving guidance from, from God himself right now. And to not just take it in a sort of a thoughtless manner, but to recognize what is it that I can do according to the will of God? What work can I do to further his very cause as we hear? And, and if we ever get to the place where we're just happy to say Jesus is Lord and we just parrot the right doctrines, oh my goodness, what a shaky foundation is beginning to be established below us. And so again and again, one to another, to, to make sure that we are in the Word of God, not just in the Word of God to check the box, but in the Word of God to shape our lives, to shape our obedience, and to deepen the foundation that is ours together in community in Christ. And then finally, number seven, sign that he gives for a healthy church and what a great one that you overflow in verse 7 that you're rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving with thankfulness we'll be able to do that next week but if i think likewise 
even, even tonight, uh, to, to really talk about this, think this through. But I think think for your small group about each of, each of these seven things. I'll, I'll run through them one more time. That you are encouraging one another in heart. That you are knitted together in love, allowing teaching to actually be the thing and the result of that teaching to be the thing that gives us this great commonality of, of doctrine that brings us together in Christ. Uh, the third sign, that you are assured, assured through the wisdom of Christ. Assured from, uh, of, of who you are and what it is that you're meant to do. That assurance also fireproofs you from error, and you will have a lot of error that, that wants to come your way. Fifth sign, that we stay disciplined in our ranks as we live out Christianity. That lordship remains our foundation, the sixth sign. And then the seventh sign, praise God for thanksgiving. Uh, and that, that we overflow with praise for God and thanksgiving for what it is that he's done in us. Because every time we allow the, the gospel to wash over us, it's not just enough that we're astounded by the grace that is given our way, but, but that also that it is manifest and expressed through a heart of thanksgiving. When you have a heart of thanksgiving, it's hard to have a heart of anxiety. When you have a heart of thanksgiving, the beautiful thing about that is that it rips out entitlement that ruins pretty much everything uh, on this earth. And if, whatever it is that you approach, even if it's a struggle like Paul has, even if it's agon that, that he is facing as, as he really is, he does so with joy, the joy of thanksgiving. What an amazing spiritual discipline, but what a great mark of a healthy church as well. I, as, as I look across and I, and I see these seven signs, and I, I think, wow, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that we're in this fellowship. I mean, really, it, I've traveled a lot. We are a blessed people. Praise God that this is our community in the faith. Uh, and, and we have so many reasons to be able to give thanks. Uh, talk about these seven signs in your small groups for a moment. And then next week, come ready to really give thanksgiving. Thank you. Amen.